0: Morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 to 15. 1 Kings 3, 1 to 15. Let's ask God to guide our time. Father God, we thank you for your inspired and errant word. We thank you that you have given it to us that we might know you better. We might know how to live and, and how not to live. And Father, as we look at the life of Solomon, many things to imitate and other things to shun, we pray that you would give us discernment and wisdom to know which at which stage. Father, uh, guide our time, visit us by your Spirit, and allow us to know you better. It's in the name of Christ we pray, amen. Many of you undoubtedly know about the Make-A-Wish Foundation. If you know about Make-A-Wish, you know that they grant up to 40 wishes every day, and they grant them to children and young adults that are quite sick, age two and a half, all the way to age 18. You may know that the most prevalent request is to go to Disney whether in Florida or Orange County. The second request that is the highest is to meet a certain celebrity. John Cena of the WWE has granted over 500 requests, being the most requested celebrity. Justin Bieber is number two. He has granted over 250 requests. Now, I'm not a Bieber fan, but uh, Pastor Jared is a groupie, and it is going up in my book. He's granted 250 of these various requests. The third is to travel overseas, whether in the Caribbean, Italy, France, or Australia. Those are the most requested. The fourth is to go to Hawaii, or maybe New York City, San Diego, or Alaska. The fifth is to have a shopping spree. One young boy had the opportunity to, he was six years old, so he was given six minutes in Target, and he collected (laughs) $22,000 worth of merchandise. That's a pretty good haul. Three particular make-a-wish requests uh, struck me as unique. One boy was named Sam, and Sam was suffering from leukemia, and he asked for a baseball diamond to be built in his yard, literally his own field of dreams. Another guy named uh, Chargold, also suffering from cancer, asked that he might receive a number of Get Well cards. Now that actually violated Make-A-Wish Foundation protocol, so they found another organization to do it for him. And by 2011, he had broken the Guinness Book of World Records, having received 35 million Get Well cards. By the end of the campaign, he had shattered that and received well over 100 million cards. By the way, Shergold is now cancer-free. There was another group who uh, loved Gilligan's Island. It was a show that uh, was canceled after only three seasons in 1967. You remember Gilligan and The Skipper and Ginger and Marianne. Well, when the show was canceled, ostensibly those on the USS Minnow were still stranded. Nobody had ever taken them off the island. So a group of kids requested that they go back after Gilligan. And so uh, a ship was found. They renamed it for the day, the USS Minnow. And uh, Bob Denver went back with his red shirt and white cap. And uh, they rescued him from a desolate West Virginia island. And so you don't need to worry about Gilligan's Island anymore. Now the question I have for each of us is this. What if we had the opportunity to receive the fulfillment of any wish? Name it and claim it. What are you going to ask for? Is it for bigger brains or better looks, a relationship to be restored, riches? What are you, what am I going to ask for? Of course, we know that Solomon received just such an opportunity, and it's recorded for us in 1 Kings 3. Let's pick up in verse 1, and let's read all the way to verse 10. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David, that is Jerusalem, until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord, that's the temple on the Temple Mount, and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places, the bamas. however, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statutes of David, his father, only, the Hebrew word rock, this means in contrast to how he loved the Lord, he did this. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, "Ask, what shall I give you?" And Solomon said, "You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness and in uprightness of heart toward you, and you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day, that is Solomon. And now, O Lord my God, You have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. He's actually 20 years old. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked thus. As you well know, Solomon is the last of the undivided kingdom. There are three kings of the 12 tribes. There was first Saul, who really didn't have a heart for God. Then there was David, who had a full heart for God. And then David's son Solomon, who had a half a heart for God. And then you remember that Solomon's son Rehoboam had the undivided kingdom for a couple days. And the ten northern tribes seceded from the Union, retained the name Israel. And the two southern tribes were called Judah. And it is out of Judah that we have the line of David that leads all the way to Jesus Christ, Matthew chapter 1. And we see in the text that Solomon has largely early on in his life, a heart for God, but it's not a full heart for God. In fact, we will see harbingers of trouble from chapters three to 10, but throughout chapters three to 10, by and large, Solomon loves and serves the Lord, but by chapter 11, because of the harbingers of sin that he allowed in his life from chapters three to 10, in chapter 11, because of these women he married, Women who did not love the Lord, it says that they turned his heart towards other gods, false gods. And he began to walk away from his relationship with the Lord. Solomon is the first in a long line. I trust it includes nobody here. A long line of those who start their spiritual walk well, but they fade fast. Now, one of the numerous harbingers of trouble is found in verse 1, where it says that Solomon married the daughter of Pharaoh. Now, this is actually repeated a number of times. It's found in chapter 3. It's found in chapter 7. It's found twice in chapter 9. It's found in chapter 11. Because this is a big deal, Solomon doesn't marry this woman, the daughter of Siamon, because of faith. He doesn't marry her because of love. He marries her to have some kind of military alliance with Egypt. And the Egyptian pharaoh is Siamon, and he does something that has not been prior done by Egyptian pharaohs. Many Egyptian pharaohs to this point have married princesses of foreign countries. But no Egyptian pharaoh has allowed one's daughter to be married outside the nation of Egypt. But at this point, Israel is a superpower, having been guided there by God through the leadership of David, And Egypt is no longer the supertower. So Simon does something that none of his predecessors has done. He allows his daughter in a military alliance to be married to Solomon. The problem in Scripture is not an interracial marriage. That is not the issue. The problem is an interfaith marriage. It's a marriage between someone who loves and serves the one true God and someone who does not. In fact, Scripture makes very little comment about interracial marriages, but what it makes is profound. You think with me all the way back to Numbers chapter 12, verse 1. And in Numbers chapter 12, verse 1, Moses marries a woman from Cush, A Cushite. So Moses is light, olive-skinned. A woman from Cush, a Cushite, is from Ethiopia. It is a jet-black-skinned woman. And you remember that because of this marriage, Moses' brother Aaron and his sister Miriam, they grumble against Moses. They're not happy about this interracial marriage. And you remember how God responds? God essentially says this. Aaron, Miriam, you think that light is better? Then I'm going to give you really light skin. And God afflicts them with leprosy. That's how God responded to somebody being concerned about skin pigment. You see, inter- Racial marriage is not a biblical issue, but racism is. And God hates racism, and so must his church. The problem with Solomon marrying the princess of Egypt is not interracial. The problem is interfaith. Solomon serves the one true God. Solomon claims to love the Lord, and yet he marries a woman who worships an Egyptian pantheon of false gods. In fact, Solomon does this repeatedly. We can read in chapter 11, the first verse, now Solomon, King Solomon, loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. And by the time we get to chapter 11, verse 4, we see the result of that. And when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father." In other words, both in the Old Testament and certainly in the New, in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to 7, 1, we are warned against interfaith marriage. We are warned against marrying someone who does not embrace Jesus Christ as personal Savior. In fact, we are told over and over again in both the Old and the New Testament, the likelihood That when we are married to someone who does not share our faith, the likelihood is that that person will draw us away from God more so than us, that other person, towards the Lord. Now, if we're already in a mixed faith relationship, 1 Corinthians 7 is very adamant Stay in the marriage you're in, work at the marriage you're in, pray for it, invest in it, and ask God to be gracious to draw your spouse to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But if we're not yet married, Scripture is also adamant that we would be wise and obedient by not dating, which leads to marriage, or not marrying someone who doesn't share our faith because all things being even preponderance is that that person will draw us further from the Lord rather than us drawing that person closer to God. So here we have Solomon. He's in the first 10 chapters, mostly good, but we have some harbingers of trouble, this being one of them. Yet, Solomon did many things. One of the great things is that he built the temple in Jerusalem On the Temple Mount. Now, prior to this, what we have is the Tent of Meetings or the Tabernacle. The Tent of Meetings was for a nomadic people, and the Jews were originally a nomadic people, and they would go from place to place, and when they would stay somewhere, they would build this Tent of Meeting. And there worship the Lord. And then when they were set to leave, they would pack it all off, go to another place, and then unpack it and rebuild the tent of meeting. Well, Solomon ended that by the 37 acres on the temple mount. He built, guided by God, the Solomonic temple. He built it somewhere around 970 BC. And that temple remained until uh, 587, 586, when Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came and destroyed the temple on the Temple Mount. And then remember, the leadership was carried into captivity and eventually some of it came back and they came back through Ezra and Zerubbabel and Haggai and they rebuilt a second temple. This was in 537 and 536. It was finished in 515 BC. And that temple was rather modest. Think small, think unimpressive. But then came the great builder of Israel, half Jordanian, half Jew, a man hated by all Jews then and today, Herod, who self-proclaimed himself Herod the Great, And in 20 BC, he greatly, greatly expanded the temple, hoping to endear himself to the Jews. It did not. That temple remained from its building around 537, extended in 20, and that remained until Titus of the Romans destroyed it in AD 70. And of course, there has not been a third temple, although Ezekiel 40. To 48, and 2 Thessalonians chapter two makes it clear that we will someday have yet a third temple. Well, Solomon built the first temple. Prior to that, he would go along with many people to the high places. That's the ominous problem number two. As far back as Numbers chapter 33 We are told not to worship at the high places, the Bemas, because that was a place of idolatry. But I think Solomon thought to himself, it's a small compromise, no big deal. Kind of the same way when Christ followers see things in Scripture and said, well, I don't really want to follow that. I don't really want to obey that. I'll just compromise a little bit. Well, that's what Solomon did. He thought it was no big deal. But of course, this will actually impact both Israel and Judah, until both of their destructions. Solomon loves the Lord. But he, like you, like me, like us, is a mixed bag. Loving the Lord still comes with the fact that you and I still sin. It was Martin Luther, the great reformer of the 16th century, that gave us this phrase, simul justas e peccato. Simul. Simultaneous at the same time. Hustas means just or righteous. At the same time, we are just or righteous. You know what E is from uh, Shakespeare. You remember when we have uh, Julius Caesar being stabbed by Brutus and he said E to Brutus? So you or and, So simultaneously, We are righteous and, peccato, sinners. That's our state, isn't it? If we know Jesus Christ, if we have by faith believed in Jesus Christ as personal Savior, if we have confessed that we are sinners and accepted Jesus' death as a payment of our sin, His resurrection, as life after the grave, if we have done that by faith, we are righteous. We are covered by the righteousness of Christ, and yet, etu and, picato, we are still sinners because sometimes that evil former nature rears its ugly head. That's what's going on in the life of Solomon. But in the midst of that, what grace, what grace extended to us? In the midst of that, God comes to Solomon in a dream and he says, name it and claim it. Now, I think naming and claiming in the 21st century is really bad theology. Uh, it's all over the place, but this is historical literature. Historical literature tells us what happened once. It may not happen again. So this idea of taking this passage and making it normative is to misunderstand how historical literature works. It tells us what happened. It doesn't say it happens over and over again. So God comes to Solomon and says, name it and claim it. Now, let's suppose for a moment it happened to you. What would you want? Well, a few of you, God's chosen, might say uh, the Lombardi Trophy for the Packers. (laughs) Uh, A few of you, outside the covenant people, might say the Lombardi Trophy for Chicago or Minnesota. Don't ask for what God doesn't want to deliver. Uh, What would you, what would I, what would we ask for? Solomon asked for wisdom. Now, picture the scene. In verse seven, Solomon calls himself a child, he's 20 years old. He's following David. I think David is 32 when he takes the throne. We know that David rules for 40 years. We know that during David's rule, the boundaries are expanded. God blesses the nation. It becomes a powerful superpower in its own right. And yet, now we have a 20-year-old on the throne, maybe a very gifted 20-year-old, but still inexperienced in life. And God comes to him and says, name it and claim it. And you can imagine the maturity it takes for anyone at any age To say, what I want is to rule the people you have entrusted to me well. What I want is to be a wise individual. God, grant me that kind of wisdom. And I believe that the Lord loves these kind of prayer requests on our part prayer requests for things that are right, for things that are good, for things that are glorifying. Maybe it's Matthew six nine. Lord, allow Your name to be exalted. Hallowed be Thy name. Or maybe Matthew six ten. Expand Your kingdom. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Or Lord, maybe raise up individuals who will tell of Your greatness to others and lead people into a saving knowledge. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew nine thirty eight. Pray therefore to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field, for the fields are white unto the harvest. Or maybe we say, Lord, grant me more of your spirit that I may honor you. We see something like that in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. It says this If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Or maybe, maybe like Solomon, we ask for wisdom. We want wisdom in our marriage. We want wisdom in our singleness. We want wisdom to raise our children or grandchildren. And James 1, 5 and 6 says, let anyone who lacks wisdom ask for wisdom by faith. And God who gives graciously, And without judgment, will grant it to us. Or maybe we ask for faith itself. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. You remember in Mark chapter 9, we have the father who brings his child who is afflicted with a demon to Jesus and asks Jesus to heal this child And Jesus said, do you have faith? And you remember what the Father said, I do believe, help me in my unbelief. That is, grow me in my faith. Or you remember in Matthew 26, the disciples are tired and Jesus said, stay awake and pray. Pray that you may not give in to sin for the Spirit is willing But the flesh is weak. And so we see these prayer requests all over Scripture. And I believe the Lord delights in answering these God centered, God glorifying, other valuing type of requests. And so Solomon says, Lord, will you grant me wisdom to lead your people? And God is delighted. Let's pick up again in our text. I want to continue on and read uh, verses 11 to 15. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honors, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if, notice the condition, and if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will wake or lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all of his servants. So Solomon asked wisely, and God said, I'm not only going to give you wisdom, I'm going to give you riches. And I'm going to give you honor. And Solomon, I will lengthen your day. I will extend your life, which by the way is a promise in Colossians if we're obedient to our parents. Actually, the promise is not a long life. It's a bad translation. It's an extended life. That is from what God was going to give you, he will extend your life. Maybe for some he will only give five years, but he extends someone's life to 10. Or maybe he's planning to give someone 70 years and for Honoring parents, he'll give him 85 years. He says to Solomon, I will extend your life if you walk in my path. Solomon lived to age 60. He was 20 when he took the throne, he ruled for 40 years. He had a half a heart for God. David, his predecessor, lived to 72. He took the throne at 32, ruled for 40 years. He had a full heart for God. In other words, Solomon did not receive as much extended life as he could have and he was not used by God here on earth to the degree that God desired to use him because Solomon was not fully obedient. So what are we to do with the text? What are a few takeaways for us? First, I really don't think it is the right way to use scripture to say we have a name it and claim it theology out of 1 Kings 3. That's to misunderstand historical theology by like a mile. But we do have a similar promise in the New Testament. In Matthew 6, it says this, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things will be added unto you. So there's a conditional promise. If we seek the kingdom first, if we are righteous, then God delights in giving his people other good God-centered things. We have a very similar promise, but not quite name it and claim it, as is often abused today. Second, we need to remember that seemingly slight compromises not only impact our life, but they impact the lives of others. Solomon had the slight compromise. He thought, you know what? A few military marriages, all right, like 700 of them, uh, really will help out the nation of Israel. But those compromises continued forever We had a number of people of not like faith come into Israel and build temples to false gods that remained. The high places remained. In fact, the high places remained both in Israel and Judah and the divided kingdom for all time. 722, the destruction of the northern tribes and then 586, the destruction of the southern tribe. All of that period of time, the high places and the temples that were built to the false gods because of these marriages impacted not only Solomon, but generations to come. That's what slight compromise in my life does. That's what slight compromise in your life does. And so again, if we're in an interfaith marriage, we work at it, we pray at it, we're invested in it. But if we're not yet married, we wait for that woman or that man, if God has that person for us that knows and loves the Lord, that we might have that foundation for the next generation and the one after that. Solomon compromised and it impacted generations. Finally, one of the great needs in our world today is wisdom, isn't it? I mean, look at our world. We need wisdom. And remember what James 1 5 and 6 says. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask for wisdom by faith. To God who gives generously and without reproach, and God will grant it. We have access to wisdom. So, Lord, give us wisdom in our marriages, in our singleness as we raise our children, as we raise our grandchildren, as we utilize our time and our treasures and our talents, as we go through life, as we make decisions, Lord, grant us wisdom. It was the need 3,000 years ago. It's the need today. And God desires to grant it for the asking to his people. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the life of Solomon, simultaneously righteous and yet a sinner, which, if we know Jesus Christ as personal Savior, is our story as well, covered by the righteousness of Christ and yet sometimes still giving in to the old nature and the old sin within us. Help us in the power by your Spirit to resist. And Father, grant us wisdom. Wisdom not to compromise in the little or the big areas. Wisdom to obey the truth of your word. And wisdom as we go through life. Wisdom as we minister to others. And as we make your inspired and errant word the guide to our lives. Give us that kind of wisdom, we pray.